Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. I just asked uh, Kevin, how long do I have? And he said, as long as you want. <laughs> um, that's dangerous because I talk slow now and uh, I'm long-winded. So we'll see what happens. It's good to be here with you today. Um, Many years ago, about maybe three or, well, 19, 19, 20, uh, 10, we began a ministry uh, church planting in uh, Thorold. And uh, so a lot of what we see here tonight reminds us of our journey as well. And so it's really good to be back in. And now don't take this the wrong way. I really love the raw and organic parts of church planting. Um, For me, we didn't have to be polished, and uh, we weren't. But you know what? We came together as a church, as a body, and we let God do His work in and through us. So uh, this is good to be here tonight. It really is, and um, I'm glad I can share some of my story. It seems every time I share, I, I share differently. And now, um, tonight, it will be no exception. I sometimes just uh, allow myself to remember different things, and they come out. So, um, if I say something and I look shocked, you know I never said it before, Okay. <laughs> And uh, so, uh, by the way, many people now, uh, this is not my real voice. Well, it is now. But uh, before the stroke, I talked differently. I talked a lot differently and really fast. And now I have to slow down. And uh, some people think I'm from uh, Quebec um, because they think I have an accent and uh, and I think I do too. Um, uh, I come to realize because of the stroke, my upper palate, uh, which was uh, it was damaged, that where a tone comes from, and so that's why I don't sound like I used to. Because now I have to use my uh, upper palate and my tongue differently to get the sounds out. And I always wonder why people had an accent. Now I know. It's got to do with this soft palate. And, uh, you know, it could be worse. I could be lying in my bed at home, not being able to walk or communicate or even to make sense of what's going on around me. I was very blessed by God, number one, to have the stroke, and number two, to have God restore me in a way that was really different than I thought I would, uh, I would, um, uh, I would uh, be restored. So tonight, relax um, and allow God to speak to your heart as well as mine. And uh, again, um, I try, I will try not to be too late, 
okay? But I need your help, Kevin. If I'm going too long, oh, I have a watch. <laughs> I forgot I put it on. Well, your boy is going to sleep already. <laughs> His head was back and it was like this. And so I'll keep you awake, I promise, okay? <laughs> Let me come closer to you. I don't spit too much, Rob. Okay. If you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to go with me to uh, Psalm 13. Psalm 13. It's a psalm that many of us have read um, and possibly know. Um, if you are familiar with the Bible and the Psalms, this is a psalm that you will uh, remember, I am sure. Um, so Psalm 13 is the psalm of David, and David is in a bad way here. I won't get into the backdrop, but he's not doing too good. Just by what it says in this psalm. Listen. He says, How, how long, O Lord? Question mark. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Question mark. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Question mark. How long will my enemies triumph over me? Question mark. Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy, my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But the buts that we read in the Bible are buts that give a contrast and so David's saying, how long? He's questioning God. And then he said, but, a contrast. But, he says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. God has been good to me and to you. You're here tonight, and you're breathing, and you look pretty healthy. Um, you may be suffering with some kind of um, illness, or even maybe you're suffering with uh, some mental health issues in your life, but we don't know because we don't know your heart. We can't see inside, but you know what's going on in your life. And I knew what was going on in my life before God permitted the stroke in my life 16 months ago. I just celebrated 16 months on November 7th um, from, uh, from my stroke. In July 2017, by the way, Nighttime is the worst time for me to speak. <laughs> I've been speaking all day, and, and, and so I get tired in the nighttime. But I can, I can still go for an hour, no problem. <laughs> but 
So if I'm a little slurry tonight, it's because I'm, might be, my throat is a little tired, but I will go that much lower, Kevin, so you guys can understand. But on July 7, 2017, something drastic happened to me that was good and bad. The bad part was that I um, suffered a major stroke. Now, you look at me and say, you don't look like you suffered a major stroke. I did. My blood pressure was 221 over 189 when they got me to the hospital. My doctor said that's, that's, that's very high, and, you know, I said it's close to eternity. That's how high it was. And the doctor said if I never got to the hospital, uh, the ambulance came, and they were wonderful. But I, if I had to not been um, there within an hour or two, and I was there within an hour, the doctor said I wouldn't have made it. And so I thank God that he spared my life. And so, you know, uh, you often wonder why. But I think God has given me enough information now, 16 months later, to understand more of the why. Do you ask why? Sure you do. Everybody asks why. God, why do you do this? Or why did you let this happen to me? God, why did you take a spouse? Why did you take my child? Why, God, am I suffering with this illness? Why am I struggling so much in my mind? God, what, what are you doing? We've been there. I was too when I was laying on the hospital ER bed, I was asking God why. And no word of exaggeration. When I was on that bed, I heard God speak to me. And he said, Al, you're here for a reason. And the reason is I have to get your attention. Because I was walking away from God. I was doing all the right things. After all, I'm a believer in Jesus. After all, I was serving God. After all, I was a pastor of many churches, and I was discipling people. God, you wouldn't do this to me, would you? And he said, I will permit it. I came across this wonderful um, uh, quote quote by uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. You know her, right? And she said this, back in the 70s, my Bible study friend Steve Est, uh, I think is Est, shared 10 little words that set the course for my life. And she said, he said this, God permits what, we, what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Let me say that again. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Why, God? I want to get your attention. 
And I remember that moment saying, God, I have two choices. Now, I can't speak a word. And my arm is starting to close up. I thought I would lose the right side of my body. And I said, God, I, I could either accept what, what you do it, or I can run away. And I decided at that moment that I will not run away, but I, I will let God do his work in my life. God began to do something miraculously. And I said to God, God, you may not restore my body. And thank you, God, he did. He gave me a new voice. It sometimes sounds sexy to my wife. <laughs> but I said, you may not restore my voice or my uh, my life my body but please restore my soul and little by little God began to restore my soul many nights in the hospital my wife and I and children were gathered and we would read the Bible together just before everyone left me beside my wife I didn't let her go one day when I was in the hospital I was suffering from anxiety at that point, and I didn't know it, but I needed her there. She was my safety net. But we would pray, and we would sing. I sang to the best of my abilities. My voice was slowly coming back, but it was still really, really bad. And because of our singing and reading the Bible loudly and uh, and, and all those stuff, are, the nurses and doctors started to take notice. And the patients started to take notice. And they would come down and tell us how much they enjoyed it. Uh, not my voice, but the others. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, almost every night we did this. And there was an old lady called uh, Millie, Millie that would come down in her wheelchair, one-legged Millie coming down. <laughs> and she would say to us, are you guys singing tonight? And she would listen to the songs. And we would sing worship songs together and pray. And we had nurses come in. But there was one nurse that came in that lingered around us most of the time. Her name was Rebecca. See, folks, let me say this. Uh, you, we don't know all the, what God is going to do, but if we allow him to use us, even when it's bad stuff, uh, God will take bad stuff and turn it into good stuff for his glory. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. So we decided that through this hardship that we will trust God and we will start and uh, uh, bloom where you're planted. And so we did. And so this nurse came in. All, when she was on shifts, she was always my nurse. And she would come in and talk to us. And one night she said, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to you guys. I said, okay. 
and we would talk to her about our faith in Jesus Christ. And she said one night, I am, I, I, no, I said to her, I said, Rebecca, you sound like you're searching to know God. And she said, I am. She said, I've been on her journey. There are uh, other nurses who were believers in the hospital wing that she was on, and they would speak to her about Jesus. And now God placed us in her path, and we began to talk to her about Jesus and what he had done in our lives. We didn't talk about church because I believe we have, we have church people too much. And don't get me wrong. It's good to be here, right? It's good. Please don't get me wrong. But we have church people enough. We have to begin to disciple people. That's what I mean. Disciple people. And you need to be disciples as well and continue to be a disciple of Jesus. But she came in and we talked to her and we shared about the kingdom of God. And we found out months later that Rebecca came to faith in Jesus Christ and that Bonnie had the privilege to go and watch her obey the Lord in baptism. And they're great friends with us now. But suffering is hard. Diddle, I never suffered like I did when I had my stroke. So God, why to get your attention? But why? So that you will bloom where you're planted. But God, why? Come with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, it says this. Paul is a missionary here to the, uh, to the Roman Christians and to the city of Rome. And he says, well, I, no, he did he get to Rome? I forget. He did, didn't he? <laughs> I'm some pastor. I don't know that either. Uh, but here we go. I have a brain injury. <laughs> I don't remember a lot, so I will blame it on that, okay? I'm not trying to be uh, disrespectful of brain injuries, but I can, um, I can joke up myself, and it's okay, okay? So Paul says to the Christians in Rome, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good. We spoke of that in just a few minutes ago. Uh, of, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew. The word foreknew means uh, also to for love. For God, for who God for love or foreknew, uh, he knew you before your mom and dad knew you, by the way. Um, and so it says, he also predestined. And I love to share this because I believe it's something that we need to know. The word predestined, it means in the Greek, it's pro-horizon, meaning before the horizon. And so the word has to deal with setting a course to the finish. Setting a course to the finish. So God foreknew me. He foreloved me so much. That he predestined, he set a course for me to what? To being conformed or transformed to the likeness of his son. 
God, why am I suffering? Why this stroke? Why am I going through mental illness now? Why is this so hard for me? Why have... Why is it so hard for me? I want to get your attention. I want to restore your soul. I, I want you to bloom where you're planted. And I want you to be more like my son, Jesus Christ. When I read this passage again, months after my stroke, I said, I get it. Folks, we often say we want to be Jesus to our friends, don't we? We said it. We want to be Jesus to our friends. We want to be Jesus to our co-workers. And I, I, I say this often. By the way, follower of Jesus, you can't be Jesus. You know why? There's only one Jesus. But you can be transformed. You can be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so, in a real way, suffering for me restored my soul. I would never be the man I am today if God did not get my attention by knocking me down. By the way, I was very pride, pride, uh, proud. I was getting really arrogant in my life. Uh, I thought I was untouchable. I thought I had all the answers. And my life was falling apart on the inside. I was angry with God. I was angry with the church. I was angry with a lot of people that let me down. I felt like a failure. All these things were inside of me, but God restored my soul by bringing suffering to humble me. And boy, did he humble me. Um, Warren Wiersbe, in his books, the B-series books, um, in the book of James, he says this, um, never ask God to humble you because when he humbles you, he humbles you good. Never. But the scripture says to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will what? Exalt you. I wasn't humbling I wasn't bending the knee to Jesus anymore. God got my attention. Let me say this. My stroke was easy. You say, what? Yeah, it was easy. Compared to what I went through after my stroke. I ended up 10 days in the mental health unit in the hospital in St. Catharines. I was so traumatized by the stroke. I was so fearful of the stroke coming back again that I was going through, uh, I would say, uh, uh, PTSD. 
I went to my doctor, and she said, yeah, it sounds like you're struggling with the trauma that you had. And you know what? Because where my stroke happened in my, uh, in my uh, left part of my brain, where it happened, um, it was uh, the place where my emotions were, are. I don't have emotions anymore. <laughs> It was where my emotions were. It hit me right in my speech, but next to my speech where my emotions uh, um, are, it hit me there. And so all of the things I was suppressing, all of the bitterness and anger, even though I was getting right with God in those things and even getting right with uh, friends I have wrote off in my life, there was still a lot of baggage, and it came like a flood. The doctor said, Al, it's like a dam that was broken in your brain. All the things that you've suppressed, and you had the mechanism to deal with by saying, I will deal with it later, wasn't there anymore. And so all the trauma from my childhood, from my uh, uh, ministries that are, by the way, if you think that pastoring is a really easy job, uh, take it. <laughs> you try it out. It can be very difficult. It's very good, and it can be a blessing, but it can be very, very hard. And with a failure of our uh, attempt to church plant, there was all this stuff that was coming up, and I was a mess. For 14 days, my wife and I didn't sleep, eat, or I couldn't drink a whole lot. I mean, we couldn't, I couldn't sleep. There were times when, I was, when she would find me on the floor, curled up in a ball, and crying. <laughs> Sorry. Crying so hard for help. I didn't know what was going on in my life. And I would say to my wife... I don't know what's happening to me, but I knew it. something was wrong with my mind. And uh, one night, on the 14th night, it was a bad night. The doctor did give me some medication to take to try to calm me. And so I was on that a little bit. But I was scared of the medication. By the way, if your doctor has put you on medications for some things, number one, uh, listen to your doctor. And number two, tr don't try to come off it yourself. It's not good. <laughs> Believe me, I tried. <laughs> Just recently I tried. And I, I, I can't yet. But... Um, I was, I took two gravel to put me to sleep, and it didn't touch me, not for a moment. She gave me uh, a drug called colnazepam, and I took not one, but two of those pills to try to settle me down. It didn't touch me. I got up. I wanted to run. I, I didn't know what to do. I was scared. I took my pillow like Linus with his blanket, 
and I went into the bathroom, and I got in there, and I was scared. I was paralyzed. I didn't know what was in there. I didn't know what to do. I came back. I sat on my floor in the, in the um, bedroom, and I colored my pillow and cried in the fetal position, and my wife was scared for me. Because there were times when I thought, I can end this now. I thought I, could, I can get over this torture. So I never understood how people could take their lives until that moment. I knew it was a bad place for me. And I was scared. And my wife was scared. And she did the, the thing that most women will do. She picked up a pillow and threw it at me. <laughs> and, and she said, I won't tell you the words she said, and, but that's, it will be in the book. <laughs> but she said to me, get your together. And I said, I can't. I don't know what to do. So we had a little episode, and I went down and got two more gravel, and I Still couldn't sleep. And I said to my wife, I said, honey, in the morning, take me to the hospital. And do me a favor. You have to advocate for me. When I get there, please don't let them send me home. I got there. They did tests. And guess what? They wanted to send me home. And that's when I became a woman and I cried. (laughs) I cried hard. My hormones were kicking in, <laughs> and I cried. And the crisis nurse came down and looked. Took one. She came down to talk to me, but she she took one look and turned around and went up and got the psychiatrist. I was in real bad shape. The psychiatrist came down, and you know what God did? He gave me a Christian psychiatrist, which was a blessing. She listened to me. I told my story through a lot of tears and heartache. And she said to me, Bonnie came back in the room with her and I. By the way, she talked to me about the love of God and that he's with me, that he can be trusted, that we don't have to fear, that God understands even though you're still hurt. God understands. And she said, but until you feel better, take these pills. (laughs) And she gave me two pills that really calmed me down. And for the first time in 14 days or more, I felt good. I said to my wife many times, I said, it feels so good to feel good. And so that was my journey on the road to recovery. See, God was always there with me. But biologically, there was something's wrong. I needed some help. And God put me in the right path. He put me in a place where I could get help. And so, there's more to this story, but I want to say this. That 14 days or 10 days in the mental health Unit was the best thing that God did for me. I tell you why. I needed help, but I also needed to help others. 
God has created me to reach out to people and to help people. And so in those 10 days, trying to deal with my anxieties and my heartache um, and getting me on a good medication program, I was, I was known as the, the, the pastor on our unit. People would come to me and I would, they would say, will you pray for me? And I say, you bet. And through my mumbled voice, I pray for them. They came up, many of them, and they hugged me. And they said, we're so glad God brought you here to us. And then began for me to think through a new way of living and a new way that I have to reach out to help people. People with mental health issues are a real burden to my wife and I. We know God can be trusted, but we also know that sometimes we need those things that will help us maneuver and get uh, along in, in life. I think sometimes there's both things, you know. Uh, some people would say, to just trust God, trust God, trust. You have to pray more, pray more. And we said, well, we're praying and we trust God. Will you stop telling us to do those things? We are doing those things, and we need help. And by the way, uh, God um, has created smart people to make smart things to help us get through our lives. And so anyway, on that word, and I will be quick. I know time is going, right? Where's my watch? Um, when do you usually close? Okay. <laughs> I will take just a few more minutes because I don't want to overwhelm you. But on that floor, as the pastor, that was my parish, sort of speak. I gave up Bibles and data of breads and people were reading, and I had a great time sharing my faith. But there was a one that lady. Her name was Susan, um, and Susan was an atheist. She struggled 20 years with mental health, and she was in and out of the mental health facilities for years, and she came in right after I came in to get help. And so as newbies, we sat together, scared, not knowing what will happen. And I got to know Susan. I ate with Susan. I talked with Susan. I shared Jesus with Susan. And she told me one day, she said, I'm an atheist. And so we walked around the hall. <laughs> around and around and around we went. And one day she said to me, she said, I wish I could, I could believe in God. I said, why? She said, people who believe in God have hope. This came from an atheist. I got out. She wanted me to stay in touch with her and her husband. And I tried. But one day I got an email from her husband. He told me Susan had taken her life. 
you know that 800,000 people around the globe every year commit suicide because of mental health. And 25 more percent try to commit. So over 1 million people around the globe every year. We just had three people in St. Catharines jump up a bridge over two weeks, and they were all young people. The stat is that between the ages of 16 and 24, young people uh, will kill themselves. One in four. 24% of that age group will commit suicide because of mental health or other problems in your life. That's too many. Way too many. And so Susan thought the best thing was her to take her, her life. I shared that with you because I'm now wanted to be an advocate for her. And an advocate for the many of you who are suffering. And I say to people, uh, Christians all the time, I say, don't feel weak. Or um, don't allow yourselves to feel shame. It's nothing to be shameful about. Don't be silent. Don't suffer in silence. And church, we have to be more aware of people that are going through mental health issues. And we have to be prepared to know how to help people. The book of James says, when people come into your worship gatherings and they don't look like you or smell like you, I'm paraphrasing. And Alan, he said, don't just say, sit on my feet. When people come in and they are in need, don't let them go by just saying, I pray for you. That's disgraceful. Church, we have to raise, rise up. And we have to be aware that people are struggling. Christians are struggling. And if you're a believer here today, can I say this to you? Don't suffer. In, we have to destigmatize. This whole issue of mental health, it affects believers and non-believers alike. The, the good thing is we have Jesus on our side. We have the power of God on our side. You know what? I will close with these thoughts. But um, I thought, God, the very thing I need to go on in ministry, you touched and you changed in the book of Corinthians, remember Paul when he prayed to Jesus three times, Lord, take it away, whatever it was. I think we think it was our eyesight, but whatever his ailment was, he said, uh, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away three times. No, no, no. And so Paul said, so then God, I will glory in my infirmities. So that your power will what? Rest on me. And folks, I want the power of God to rest on me in, in, through my infirmities. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to feel weak. God 
it will give us strength, His strength. Don't rely on your strength because it's not good enough. Don't rely on your knowledge. You, we need God's. I said this. I, I'll close with this. I'm so sorry. I know I have taken too much time, but you can tell this is a passion of my heart. And um, um, what was I going to say? I lose my thoughts too. That's just part of it. But um, it doesn't matter. God didn't want me to share that. Anyway, he just told me. He spoke in my ear and said, don't, don't. And he took it away. <laughs> so thank you for having me here. My story is much deeper than that. I gave you the highlights. But, you know, trust God. Let him be your strength. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Sorry. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, right? Well, is God good through hardships and suffering? Sure he is. He's still good. The very essence of God is good. He's good no matter what. And we have to be solid in that. God is good, God is love, God is grace, God is mercy, God is all these things. He doesn't become these things, He is these things, and we have to rest in Him. So, uh, bless you as you continue to worship tonight and go on your way. Thank you.